Um, so I, I want to make sure you have your handout, especially for our gentlemen. Um, like I said, tonight we're going to be doing our normal spiritual leadership training uh, time. That's an, every Wednesday night. We meet back in the back and uh, have a great time of discussion. The only thing that will be different a bit tonight is that we're not going to be in our small groups. And uh, we, will be having, uh, we won't be having rather more of an open discussion. We'll just give you a chance to ask your, uh, questions up front. Um, so tonight we're going to end up in a Bible study um, really twofold. One, we're going to talk about headship, and that is something both a man and a woman possess um, uh, to varying degrees, which we've seen a little bit over the last few weeks um, on Wednesday nights. And then we're going to be talking about um, diet, what hills to die on. And that sounds dramatic, and it is dramatic. Um, for the most part, if you handle your business well, if you uh, lead in every relationship, specifically in the home uh, and in church, if you lead correctly, you probably don't have to die on too many hills. For example, and we'll use this example a little bit later on as it relates to church leadership as a pastor, um, I don't have to die on any hills with you all. Um, there's, there's never been a time in my pastorate that I've ever stood up and said, you know what, you guys can all leave. We're doing this whether you like it or not. Because if the Bible says it, for the most part, that just settles it. And so I don't have to die on any hills. Now, when that relates to our home, if you lead your home well, there's going to be extremely, extremely rare circumstances where you ever have to say, I'm dying on this hill. Um, and so it, it, it really is that the, the front side of it, we're going to talk about headship, and then we're going to get into that. But I do think it's going to be a blessing. we got some good questions. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'll be able to give you as, as satisfactory an answer as possible. I did send out a message uh, yesterday and ask for questions. Um, and so I did get more today than I got yesterday because yesterday I got none. Um, so I have a handful here. I would have had a much easier time finding verses and things for you um, uh, as opposed to my last, like, uh, 45 seconds using my phone. So let me give you what I've got. Um, there's some really good questions here, though. Um, the first question is, which, support, which scripture supports the idea that a man must be more spiritual uh, than his wife? Now, uh, that's a great question. It's asked in a specific way, and I know why it's asked that way. Um, it's asked that way because that's normally what is stated uh, in a preaching service. It's a bit of a goad um, saying, hey, men, you know, you need to be more spiritual than your wives. You need to be more spiritual than your wives. But let me ask you this question before we get there. If you'll go to Ephesians 5.23. Um, let me ask you this question. Should a pastor, be careful, don't answer right away. Should a pastor um, be more spiritual than his church? Think about it. <laughs> uh, kind, of, kind of a weird question. You would assume, but show me in the scripture where it says that I should be more spiritual than you. You can show me in the scripture where it says I'm supposed to lead you. And therefore, the assumption, and it's a, I think it's a fair assumption. I think it's a little bit also misguided. And so when, when a preacher, myself certainly have said this, we've said this in the back uh, room there for sure, man, you need to be the spiritual leader of your home. You need to be more spiritual. And that's not, again, because then we get into the problem of like, how do we gauge? You know, like my wife is this spiritual. And so my measure of spirituality is that I've got to be just above her. And so again, maybe it's a little bit of a misnomer to state it that way. Um, I think I understand the heart of trying to say, hey, listen, we're spiritual leaders. And so that we find in Ephesians chapter five, verse number 23, you find it in a lot of places, but we'll just use this one specifically. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. And so Christ obviously being the spiritual leader, being the one equipped to spiritually lead, uh, he is the head of the church. We as husbands should have spiritual grounding. But again, I think it is um, a little, not the question misguided, but maybe the goading um, publicly is a little bit misguided in that idea that, hey, a man should be more spiritual than his wife. Now, do I believe that personally? 
I think that a man has a responsibility to grow himself spiritually. And uh, I think it is a shame if his wife is running laps around him. The second part of that question, I really enjoy this, que- this part. It says, um, a spirit-led woman, praise God for every spirit-led woman in our congregation, we've got a lot of them, can submit to the leadership um, even if he is not at the same spiritual level, 100%. A hundred percent. Absolutely. That's that's totally the responsibility. Um, And and you can see that in different uh, contexts in scripture. Um, God ordains spiritual leadership. And the the illustrations that are coming to mind might fall a little bit short. And forgive me for that. That's on the spot. Um, When uh, I believe it's Paul reviles the high priest. He says, oh, man, I'm not supposed to do that. God picked you for that role. And I'm not saying that husbands are priests. I'm not making that equivocation mistake at all. I'm simply saying that there are roles that God's picked. And if God picks a husband to rule over you, which he does if you're married. Um, and again, how does that unfold? We'll, we'll see that in the service tonight. Um, then, then there should be a submission. Um, and you're going to see that there's actually quite a bit of, of liberty on both sides tonight. And that's why I want both uh, parties here tonight. So great question there. Um, what is the best way to handle bullying happening between kids? Uh, should a father address it or a mom approach um or mom approach mom um i i think what it's saying and i might just be misreading it uh should a mom address it or should a dad address it yes i think both um i think that uh, uh one of the things that we've tried and i'm, I'm going to stay away from the pulpit on this one because this is just something from experience um one of the things that we do is obviously my wife is there in the day-to-day. She is guiding and, and leading our home in a very real and very practical way that God has given to her. And we'll talk about that tonight. Um, but if there's an, uh, my, my, my wife doesn't want her only relationship with my children to be defined by, by disciplinarian. Um, and so whenever it reaches a certain level that it merits me having to address it when I come home, um, that is another level um, of, uh, of discipline. But in the moment, for sure, both should address it. In fact, uh, that question in its entirety is going to deal or going to be dealt with in our, our study tonight. So uh, pardon the, the brief example or explanation on that. Uh, number next, this one um, is, is kind of a statement, kind of a, a, a question. It says some conservative Christians claim that complementarianism, if you remember that side of the argument, um, uh, and then there's egalitarian. Some conservative Christians, so we're going to go even further than complementarianism, they say that complementarianism falls short of the biblical view of gender distinctions. Um, they propose that an emphasis be on, uh, uh, an emphasis on roles as opposed to the nature and design uh, differences does not fully embody the essence of the position we should hold. So let me try to, I did ask for a little bit of clarity on this, so let me try to explain. So what they're saying in the question is, is this correct? The, the question is, there are those who believe in what's called biblical patriarchy, and at this point we're just making terms up, right? Complementarianism, patriarchy, all those things. Um, it's just a, an argument of semantics, but the idea is that, hey, complementarianism focuses too much on roles and not enough on the, the design of a woman and how she fits into that role. And so I would say, yes, the design of a woman and the call of a woman absolutely go hand in hand. It's a beautiful thing. Call it what you want. Call it biblical patriarchy, complementarianism, however you want to deal with that. So that's, that's the answer to that question. Um, if you need more clarity on that, we can discuss it after the fact. Uh, what does the Bible, I love this one. Is this our last one? Yeah, this is our last one. Good question. What does the Bible say about a woman working? Read Proverbs 31. Okay. Now, um, and my wife's going to get into this uh, in, in Titus 2. Um, and you're, you might hate me, and I love you. And so the Bible's going to settle this, so <laughs> you can't hate me because I'm using the Bible. Um, the, the primary role of a woman is to lead her home, to guide her home. If she can work 
and her children still be cared for and rise up and call her blessed and she can give meat to her maidens and sell her goods in the the marketplace and by all means have at it if you can balance your responsibilities um, as a mother. Now, that is extremely difficult to do. Um, And so you cannot compromise one for the other. Each and every husband, and this is not, I'm not bailing off the the sinking boat. Each husband and wife are going to have to come to their own conclusion on that. Now, I'm way over here, away from my Bible and away from the pulpit. Because of the stage my family is at, my wife does not work. Okay? That's a decision that we have made because I, if I have to compromise one of the two, I'm not going to compromise her first given responsibility. Um, but biblically speaking, she can have both. I think scripture supports that idea. Um, there's certainly the women. We, are, we saw a lot of examples of them um, last week, women who supported Jesus out of their means um, and so forth. But I think what you're going to find, and, and uh, you can't necessarily say for sure. We don't know all the life context of every person in that, in that list. Um, but Lydia, the seller of purple, and some of these other ladies uh, probably did not have some of the responsibilities that my family has at its current stage. Um, so... That'll be the side of the Q&A. What I want to do is I want you to jump in with me, and uh, we're going to go to Philippians chapter number 2. And uh, those are good questions. If you did have a question that didn't get to, um, forgive me. I apologize about just the brevity of time. Um, uh, we, we, can, we can have another conversation at another time. Um, that is one of the reasons that we end up being so long in the back room. We get into questions and answers, and, and we have a great time with that. But you're going to go over to Philippians chapter number 2 uh, to start off with uh, here in just a second. We'll start with a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on the time. And then I want to talk about uh, a woman's right to lead in the home. And uh, I'm not, again, don't, don't define what I'm saying. This is a very important rule when listening to preaching. Don't define what I'm saying by what I did not say. Okay. So when I say, Hey, a woman's right to lead in the home, you just said a woman can't lead in politics. You just said a woman can't lead at work. You just said there can't be women married. I didn't say any of that. Okay, I'm going to stay very tightly to this topic of a woman's responsibility to lead in the home because I think that's what matters the most. Um, I think what, what, and I'm not saying that's their highest. I do think it's probably on part of their highest calling, but I'm going to focus on that because I'd rather us do that really well than you be really good at being a boss. I'd rather you understand what your biblical responsibility is in your home, and, uh, and we'll talk about the man's role as well. So let's go ahead and pray and ask God's blessing. Father, I need you tonight. I pray, God, that you'd help us to um, be able to understand the truths at hand, Lord. There's some really significant things to learn tonight. Um, there's some really important uh, equations and, and, and so forth that we're really going to try to unpack. And I pray that your spirit would be uh, present. I pray that you'd help us uh, as we navigate some of these things. I pray that you would guide us in a special way. And, uh, Lord, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we discussed, in the last two weeks, we've discussed a little bit of women's roles when it comes to marriage. And I think I said on the front end, we might have even titled the sermon, that first one, Women's Role in the Home. And we really didn't touch on a woman's role in the home. We touched on a woman's role in marriage uh, as it relates to submission and the headship of her husband. Then we jumped and went to a woman's role in ministry and her relationship with with, uh, Christianity. And I feel like that was a wonderful study. And I hope that you, you got a chance to listen to it. If you didn't, I want you to go back. But now I want to kind of jump back in between those two And only briefly touch on the responsibility that a woman does have the right to lead within her home. Um, Now, that leadership has a boundary and it has a, I would say, a governor over that responsibility. But think about it like this. One of the best illustrations that I can think of as it relates to a woman's responsibility to lead in the home, um, sometimes people think, well, can she make any decisions in the home? Of course, 100%. Think about it like this. As a Christian, do you pray about every single decision you make? 
I did not just pray if I should open up that bottle of water and take a drink. I didn't pray about grabbing this suit coat. Now, there are decisions that I do pray, and I ask my head, hey, um, I need some help and guidance on this, Father. Would you give me direction? And so as it relates to the home, the very simple way to put it, uh, in terms of leadership, a wife has incredible leadership within her home, but it should be done under the idea of, I'd like to honor the wishes of my head. Now, that being your husband and your, your father, your God in heaven. And so whenever there is a leadership decision to be made, you don't have to call and say, hey, honey, I know I'm interrupting you at work for the 43rd time, but we're deciding bologna or ham for lunch today. That's, that's obscene. That, that's that, that crazy, unbiblical, hyper-complementarian, way-too-far uh, side over there. And so a woman uh, does have this right to be responsible and this right to lead in their home. And in a lot of ways, you're going to help uh, your husband grow as a man. And that's one of the reasons I want you in this uh, particular study. Now, I've got an equation for you. You've got blanks in your notes there. And so if I skip one and you notice it, shoot your hand up. I want to make sure um, that I don't skip it. I don't have the same notes that you do. They're based off of mine, but I don't have the underlines and things that you do. So I will try uh, to get to uh, each of those blanks. So there's an equation you need to understand. Um, I've said this before, and I've said it in the class more than I've said it in the pulpit, but I've often said I can count on one hand the number of times I've ever had to, you know, pull the headship card, pull rank on my wife. And to be honest, I was talking to my wife. I think I can only count on two fingers um, the number of times in 13 years I've ever had to say, hey, listen, I know we don't agree. But as the, as the head of the home, this is the decision that, that I think that we, we should make. But how do we get to that idea? Uh, how can we get to a place where that idea of pulling rank and pulling headship isn't something that happens on a normal basis? There's a beautiful equation that is in Scripture, and you find it all throughout Scripture, on how to navigate this idea of making decisions collectively where you never really reach a place where one's got to pull rank on the other person. Um, I want to kind of give you this idea of the headship card. It's a bit of an illustration. Um, that's kind of what I'm talking about, where, where a husband kind of pulls it and says, all right, conversation is over. You know, hey, I love you, but this is where we're going. That should happen almost never. It can happen. But if you do it right, that happens almost never. Now, if you're really far over here, then that, that's like your default. Like, I mean, that's your get-out-of-jail-free card. You don't know what to say. Hey, I'm a man, and these are pants woman, and I'm in charge here. That should happen almost never. Now, listen, and here's one of the reasons I have the women in here, too, and as it relates to your children, the same thing. I will say it probably happens more often with children than it does between a husband and a wife. Um, a lot of times, the husband and a wife are on the same team, and sometimes kids... Their brain falls out their ears, and they're on their... It's us versus them, um, at least in my understanding of dealing with teenagers for many years. Um, let me give you an idea of how this works. Headship, okay? So at Faith Baptist Church, we have a, a lead pastor. We have pastors on staff. Brother Hunter, Brother Escobar do not need to call me for every decision that they make. They don't need to call me and say, hey, uh, uh, you know, pastor, real quick, I was going to straighten up the chairs. Is that okay with you? No, they have authority. They have leadership. They have responsibility. Uh, they, 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 they should be able to make decisions. And, and that, 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 that headship and, and leadership that they have is very much intact. But at the end of the day, here are two key words. I think it's in your blanks. When, so I'm going to use Brother Escobar and I. When our responsibilities intersect and differ, someone has to yield. 
All right, so Brother Escobar makes a decision in, um, you know, as it relates to, you know, the church as a whole. Maybe we'll just, we'll, we'll leave Spanish ministry off the table, but a decision as a whole about something, and it intersects with my responsibilities, and so there's a difference of opinion in this hypothetical. Someone has to yield. But the question is, who? Now, you might think, here's the card, Brother Escobar, I'm the lead pastor. No, 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 no. In fact, we've got like 10 steps in this equation before we even get to that. And the vast majority of conflicts are going to be solved way before the card gets pulled. Now, as it relates to a husband and a wife, the same exact thing happens. Whenever a wife has jurisdiction and leadership and a husband has jurisdiction and leadership, for the most part, hey, listen, honey, you know, you've, you've got these responsibilities, you're fulfilling them. But I, I've noticed that there's something that overlaps and I'm, I'm a little concerned about this particular thing. Or the wife even comes and says, hey, babe, I've been noticing the kids have been doing this, and they said that you let them. Um, now what we're having is there's an intersection and a disagreement. So who has to yield is the question. You don't get to play the headship card right away. In fact, I got a great illustration for years ago. I was taking a, a conceal and carry permit class here in Bakersfield, and uh, I was renewing my permit, and there was a guy that was there. He's a truck driver, and uh, so don't let this reflect on all of our truck drivers. This guy was the most trigger-happy person I've ever met. He was getting his permit for the first time, and he asked as soon as class started, like, so when can I shoot him? And my instructor said, listen, there are only two times you can shoot a person when someone's life is in danger or great bodily harm that could result in death. Those are the only two times. So the class continued. I got a question. Okay, so like if he, if he steals my car battery, when can I shoot him? And he's like, there's only two times. I kid you not, my wife was in the class with me. He must have asked that question six or seven times. He wanted to pull the shoot him card as fast as he could in every single instance. And as it relates to this intersection and conflict between leaders, husband and a wife, brother Escobar and myself, you and another Christian in church, you don't all, you don't, the first thing you should do is not pull the, the when can I shoot him card? When can I tell her she's got to be quiet, woman? I'm in charge here. That happens so extremely seldom if you do it right. And here's why. The Bible will solve nearly every one of these problems. The Bible is a tiebreaker, I think is what your notes say. So here we go. Let's take Brother Hunter as an example. Brother Hunter and I, our, our responsibilities intersect. And uh, I disagree with him. He disagrees with me. And so I'm the lead pastor, so that means I must be right. Unless the Bible agrees with him. At which point I lose. My headship is no longer valid, okay? How does that relate in, in terms of the home? Well, when it comes to parenting, if a wife notices something in the house, wife notices something in the parenting style, the wife notices, hey, dad's been letting the kids watch these R-rated movies or whatever, and well, I'm the man of the house. Well, the Bible settles that argument. I lose. Well, I'm the man, no, because your headship is outranked by God's. You understand what I'm saying? I think we all get that. Uh, God, God's headship overrules your headship. And that's why we ought to obey God rather than man. When it comes to matters of theology, when it comes to matters of, of preferences and, and you know, music and whether we're going to church, and we'll get to some of that a little bit later on. Just like the illustration of church authority, uh, where, where scripture trumps my authority over them and their authority over anyone else or me, um, that should be and oftentimes is the end of the equation. That will solve so many conflicts. You don't need to pull the headship card. But now we're moving down the equation. What happens when the Bible does not explicitly delineate what should be done in a hypothetical? 
Um, and I'm not going to give you too many of them. I'll leave them to you because um, I don't want to make the decisions for you. But if there's an example that comes in uh, to a marriage and it's like, hey, you know, the Bible doesn't command to do this. or The Bible doesn't command us not to do this. Do I get to play the headship card now? No. No. Philippians chapter 2. Look at it with me if you would. And this, again, is one of the primary reasons I wanted our ladies to be present in this meeting um, tonight because there's an accountability factor toward the men here. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things. I'm the man. It's my preference. I like the color of that wall. But every man also on the things of others. So I'm going to be careful. I'm going to go through a couple of ways where, where that would fall under this category. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us exactly what to do or not to do. There's no explicit uh, prohibition on it. There's no explicit you know, um, command that we should do it. What do we do in these areas? Well, um, it, it, if it's not a matter of right and wrong, and it's simply a matter of preference with no morality attached then chances are the only thing on the line is your own desires and you should lay down those desires for the other person. Pastor, who are you talking to? The husband? Yes. Who are you talking to? The wife? Yes. Let each esteem other better than themselves. She likes this paint color. Okay. Now listen, we're going to get to dying on hills. If you die on that hill, you will never be able to die on the hills that matter. You understand? And this isn't a matter of like, hey, happy wife, happy life. No, I'm simply saying what Jesus said, esteem others better than yourselves. You say, pastor, he should, he should, he should, uh, he should defer to me. If that's your heart, you should be the one deferring. Every one of us ought to have the heart that says, hey, you know, I don't mind. Look, let me bless you. Let me, let me help you. Let me encourage you. Uh, again, because you're the head of the house doesn't mean you should have it your way in every single way, shape, and form. Um, I, I think in the areas that matter, you're going to both end up agreeing, <laughs> okay? So, again, pick. I'm not saying pick your battles. I'm really not. Well, let's just keep going. You'll see what I mean. Um, uh, you're going to have a hard time um, having any integrity left on the areas. And I said this a minute ago. On the areas that matter if you play that card too often. So, now let's say it's not a matter of preference, but it's a matter of principle or even spiritual uneasiness. I'll give you a couple of examples. There's a practice in your home that as the husband or even the wife that you're concerned is, 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 a, is a bit of an issue. And you couldn't exactly give a chapter and a verse, but you feel like, hey, you know, maybe it's a style your kids started wearing or maybe it's a toy they started playing with and dad's okay with it and mom's not or dad's not okay with it and mom, uh, you know, mom is. If it's a matter where, where maybe she brings up a concern and says, hey, should you really be watching those fights with the kids? And I, it, there, there is some morality attached. It's not paint color anymore. It's like, I just, I don't know. Something seems off. What should we do? Do you get to play the card now? No. Number two, you should default to taking the highest road when in doubt, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 13. You can write it down in your notes. You might even have it in your notes. I think you do. Um, 1 Corinthians 8, 13 says, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So in the areas, and this is why headship isn't the trump card here, because there may be something your wife feels is concerning to her, and she says, hey, I just don't feel that that's right. And you're like, I'm the man. And now you're violating another person's conscience because I'm the man. 
I'll give you an example. And more times than not, the weaker Christian, and in this illustration I'm about to give you, I was that person. So the person who eats only pulse is the weaker Christian. The one who can eat meat, and I, if you don't know what I'm saying, catch me afterwards, I'll try to explain it, but I'm, I'm assuming some understanding here. The person who only eats pulse is the weaker Christian. The one who needs the more rules is the weaker Christian. The stronger Christian is going to have to default and not judge that person. So, and I don't know where you land. I don't really care. Some of you are going to be way to the right of me. Some of you are going to be way to the left of me. I don't really care. I'm talking about a preference here. Um, for the first few years of our marriage, I was anti, 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 super anti any level of secular Christian music. Like, I'm telling you, Frosty the Snowman was straight out of the pit of hell. I mean, we ain't playing none of that Christmas music up in this casita. Uh, get that garbage out of here. Um, now, I, I, I still don't listen to, like, you know, I'm not talking about Mariah Carey. I'm talking about, like, I'm dreaming of a... Okay, anyway. So for the longest time, my wife and I took that highest road. She has since drugged me down. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So in that instance, to not violate the conscience of the husband, she and I took the high road. There have been plenty of times. Um, I think one of the reasons that I stopped watching fighting was a, a preference that my wife had. Okay? So, so I'm, you have to default. You don't get to pull the man. <laughs> when can I put him to sleep? When can I shoot him? No. Default to the highest possible position in that regard. Don't offend the other brother or sister. Um, now, listen, let's say we make it through this entire list of filters. The chances are there's probably nothing left. If you've done it right, if you've defaulted to the higher standard so as not to offend the other person, if you have deferred to the person in areas that don't really matter, and both of you in deference to each other. So don't leave this, ladies, and say, see, pastor told you, you got to defer to me in all these areas that don't matter. I'm in charge. No, you're missing it. You're the one that should be deferring to. You're both deferring to each other. That's how you make a beautiful harmony marriage. But let's say you make it through all these filters. The Bible doesn't say anything about it, because if the Bible does, it's over. Right, ladies? If the scripture says it, that settles it. There's no argument to had. It doesn't matter if you're not happy about it. The scripture says it. It's settled. It's over. So if you make it past the Bible, and you make it past deference, and you happen to make it past taking the higher road uh, of the two, then chances are you're going to end up with one or two things in the last 13 years of marriage that a husband just has to say, you know what, honey? I don't have a chapter and verse for this, but I really just feel like this is the right decision. But it's not a trump card. It's not a when do I get to put him to sleep card. It's a conversation where you've made it through these previous steps and you walk through it diligently with each other and, hey, I love you and uh, this is my, my thought and this is what I'm concerned. What are your thoughts? And you're having a mutual conversation collectively leading. The same thing happens with every one of our deacons meetings or pastoral staff meetings. Uh, in the entire time I've been here, I've only ever had to decide, no, this is what we're doing against one decision. And that was only one tiny subsect of a whole meeting that we've had. In deacons and pastoral meetings. All, why? Because every time we just have a conversation about it. Hey, what do you fellas think? You guys are men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Hey, pastoral staff, what do you guys think? Amen. We're coming together mutually and we come. Now, does that make me less of a leader? I don't think so. I think it makes me a better leader. I think it would make you a better leader. Instead of just iron fisting this. And I don't know if that's necessarily present. Now, the second part of this study... Um, I want to talk to both mom and dad, uh, both husband and wife, um, about the responsibility on what's wor what, what is worthy of not giving up on. Uh, essentially, what hills should we die on? Um, and again, don't go too far, too fast with this idea of being a martyr in your marriage. Like, I'm going to die on this hill and you're coming to the grave with me. Um, that's not what I mean. Again, if you handle, 
your responsibility as a leader well, you're not going to have to die on that marriage. Um, Because, again, if you do the first part right, the second part becomes way less dramatic. You make it through all these filters, and then it's like, hey, you know, we, we found an issue in our marriage where the Bible very clearly settles something, and she's not doing it. What should I do? Die on that hill. Yes, but there's a way to die on that hill, and we're going to talk about that a bit tonight. Um, if we'll be leaders that God has called us to be, I'm talking to moms, toward your children, I'm talking to husbands, toward your whole family, then again, the fact of the matter is you're probably not going to have to die on any hill all alone. Hopefully you both, mom and dad, die on that hill for the sake of your children. Hopefully mom, dad, and children all die on that hill for the sake of the gospel. Um, but here, I think you have a quote in your notes. Proper biblical leadership means that there are no enemies in your relationships to fight against, but rather fellow soldiers to fight for and beside. So when you're thinking about dying on a hill, I don't want you to think your wife is the one fighting you for that hill. No, your wife should be the one standing beside you fighting for that hill for the sake of the children, right? And even then, your children should be on the same team fighting for that same cause. So let me talk to you real quick about leading like Jesus. And uh, again, this is going to have a heavier emphasis on men because God uses that example of Christ's leadership and compares the man's leadership to it. But it's absolutely true, ladies, in your roles of leadership as well. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 25, if you would... Let's go there. Ephesians 5.25. Oh, you have it in your notes. Ephesians 5.25 says this. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And so if you lead in that, that model of love and sacrificial giving, you are going to end up the leader like Jesus. Now, listen, when you think about Jesus, he didn't show up on the scene and demand authority. Right? He didn't show up and announce he was God. Now, there were times he clearly claimed to be God, but he didn't get born, walk into the temple at 12 years old and say, listen, folks, I'm in charge here. I'm God. Follow me. No, what Jesus did, he possessed authority, right? All power is given unto him in heaven and in earth, but he provided leadership. And there's a difference there. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second. I think it's in your notes. He, he went about doing what was right. He submitted to his father. He loved those that would follow him. Uh, He gave himself. He reasoned and taught to his followers. He set an example. He didn't peacock his position. Uh, He was meek and lowly in heart, and therefore, he had leadership. People followed him. Look again at this passage in Philippians 2. I think it's in your notes. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness, uh, lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind, what mind? The mind we just read about. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form, and notice that word form, of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He had all authority But he came as a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of his humility, his submission to his father, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And now this is, that's, that, that, that kind of exaltation belongs ex- uh, exclusively to Jesus. But the Bible very clearly tells us that if we humble ourselves, that he will exalt us in due time. And so listen, as a leader, you don't need to walk in exalted, like, I'm in charge here. You need to come in with humility and sacrificing yourself and loving and humble. And then God will, you will be that leader that she wants to follow. Uh, now, again, that, that's not, I can't guarantee that. Sometimes roles have been switched for so long and dug in so deep, you're going to end up having to stake a claim on a hill and standing on that hill, which is what we're going to talk about. But here in your notes, I think you have a quote, authority does not equate to leadership. Okay, when I became the pastor of Faith Baptist Church eight and a half-ish years ago, I had the authority 
of the office of a pastor. But leadership is something that is developed. It's, it's attached to a relationship. Leadership is something that is provided, not something that is staked and laid claim to. Now, again, as the pastor, I'll have that scriptural authority, but my desire is to lead as a shepherd. That's what pastor means, to lead beside still waters for his name's sake, to, to try to be like the good shepherd and set the example and provide a relationship and have that leadership, and that's following. Authority is I own it. Leadership is come along with me. Let me provide for you. Like we talked about the other week where uh, deacons and pastors, that's a service that is provided provided to the church. Um, And again, when it comes to the home, men have been given the authority of headship in the home. But leadership is something you're called to provide to your wife. It's not something you're you're supposed to demand from your wife. It's something you're to provide to your wife. And ladies, that's that's a service you're supposed to accept according to scripture. Um, Now, listen, if we can do all these areas listed above correctly, um, then again, uh, this is going to save us from having to die on a hill. But for the sake of the leaders in this room, men and women, I think it's important that we go into the next step. Dying on the right hill. What do I mean by that? I think you have a quote there in your notes. As the heads of your home, uh, uh, your wife and your children, and ladies, I would say as the head of your home in regards to your children, you are going to have to make decisions on behalf of your family, and as a man, you are going to have to defend those positions. Now, now, real quick, I'm not saying you're going to have to defend them from your wife. So I'm not trying to paint the followers as the bad guys. I'm saying, for the most part, when you as a man take like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, that's going to be a position you're going to have to defend from external circumstances far more often. You know, as a husband, when you say, hey, we're going to be in church, my hope is that it never happens you have to defend that to your wife or to your children. That may come, and we'll talk about that provision if it does. But if you do it right, and there's no guarantee, but if you're doing it right, what's going to happen is you and the wife and you and the kids, you're going to stake that claim. We're going to be in the house of God. You're going to have to defend that against your family, your extended family. You're going to have to defend those against jokes at school. Those kids are going to have to defend their, their staked claim when they go to school as well, and their uh, folks are going to make fun of them for that. Um, but you will for sure have to defend those battlegrounds at times in public, but also when it comes to your family. Um, I would say if I had to just observe from, from, from life in general, from being a pastor and being a married man, I would say more often than not, if you're going to have to defend it from those who live in your home, I would guess, it's been my observation in counseling, that the children are going to be where you're going to have to defend it a lot. Um, when it comes to them being teenagers and young adults and like, hey, this is what we decided. Yeah, but Johnny does it this way. You're going to have to defend that hill, right? So you're going to have to die on that hill. There are going to be times, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, if you say, well, this never happened in my home, well, good, I'm glad. I, 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 I'm happy for you. It, it, I would say the same. It very, very, very seldom happens in my home, um, if ever. But there are going to have to be times where as a husband, you're going to have to say, hey, you know, like, babe, I'm real concerned about this area. I feel like you're slipping. Okay? You're going to have to pick a hill and defend that hill. Um, and ladies, for sure, toward the children and so forth. Now, again, I hope that's not your reality. Um, it's not been our reality, but I've also never had to raise teenagers. And so you keep that in prayer for me. I don't mean that even as a joke. I just know that that becomes a reality. Um, so in the event that you have defended uh, or you have to defend settled convictions, and I do use that term loosely. I know there's a lot of ways to use that word, but hey, what I'm referring to in this moment is that a conviction is like, hey, as for me and my house, this is what we're doing. I picked this. This is our, this is our decision collectively on behalf of my family. This is our decision. Um, there are going to be times you have to defend that. 
um, I hope seldom, but against those in your own family. And so how are we supposed to defend that? Um, And notice, I haven't given you any specific hills yet. I will in a little bit. But before we do that, I want to give you some reasons why I think a lot of men and women don't defend the the right hills. They won't defend the hill. Uh, They'll fold like a lawn chair when she objects or they object. Um, Why is that? Well, number one in your notes, we don't know what hills we should die on. I think that that is a reality present. (coughs) Excuse me. We don't know what hills we should die on. We think everything, there's kind of two spectrums. We think everything is a hill to die on or nothing is a hill to die on. Everything is worth burning down the house and a knockdown drag out fight. And I mean, you're going to fight about Cocoa Puffs versus, you know, Cheerios. I mean, you're going to fight about the the baseboard selection. You're going to fight about um, staying too long at church. You're going to fight about everything. Or over here, oh, you know, whatever is whatever. Kind of is what it is. You know, she's doing her thing. I'm doing my thing. We're kind of doing our thing. Nothing is a hill to die on. You know, she wants to come this week, so we came. Yeah, you know, he was real tired, so we just chose not to be in church today. And there's no hills to die on. Okay? Um, we don't know how to triage. We talked about that at length. We don't know how to triage, right? So, like, what is, what is an emergency and what is not an emergency? If you fight about nothing, I'm not saying you won't have success, but you're going to have a much harder uphill climb to start staking your claim. If you fight about everything, then no one takes anything serious. If everything's an emergency, nothing is an emergency. Right. We were trying to teach our kids that. That's, my wife caught that from a book she read. If everything is a crisis, nothing is a crisis. Right. Yeah. Oh, my leg! Oh! You, like, stubbed her toe. You're like, and then she does it in the, you know, she's like, ran over by a car, and we're like, she stubbed her toe. That's not happened, but if everything's a crisis, then nothing's a crisis. So we don't, we don't fight and stand on the hills to die because we don't know what we should die over, what we should take and stake our claim. Number two, we don't have the courage to die on the hills even if we knew what they were. Um, and for this, I would kind of modify and say, like, we think we're going to lose, so we just don't, we don't we're not going to do it. You know, I, I tried last time. I tried to bring it up. I was concerned about our church attendance. You know, I've been coming. She hasn't been coming. I brought it up, and, man, it just, I don't know. It's just not worth the fight. I remember years ago, I was a youth pastor in Lompoc, um, and there was a teenager who had just graduated high school, and uh, she started doing some really, really, really bad, obviously unscriptural things. And I went to the parents, and, um, and I said, hey, I'm just real concerned about your daughter. And here's what they said to me. It broke my heart. I've never had another parent say this to me, which I'm, I'm thankful. They said, you know, pastor, we just, we don't want to lose her heart. She's probably not going to listen anyway, so we just, we're just going to let her go and do that. We don't want to upset her. Well, you know what that is? That's a lack of faith. That's a lack of faith. The Bible's not going to work. Truth isn't going to work. I'm not going to die on that hill. You know, I don't want to lose my... You're losing your daughter. And you're, you're, you're actively conceding a hill you are supposed to die on. And you think that somehow it's, it's going to be better. It's not. And we'll talk about that, I think, in the, in the next one or the next two. Number three, some people won't die on the right hill simply because... And this is probably more present than any of us want to admit. Because it is wildly inconvenient. This is, this is sadly very true. A lot of people are bad parents because it's inconvenient to be a good parent. It takes too much effort. It's too much of a struggle to police these things. It takes a lot of effort when it comes to shepherding a wife's heart or a child's heart or even a husband's heart. 
you know, it's one battle and we talked about it. I brought it up, Pastor, and we made some ground and then I got to talk. Now we got to bring it up again and I don't want to keep fighting the same battle and it's just one thing after another and it's just another battle. And it's been my observation that sometimes, listen to this, it's been my observation as a pastor and just an observer of people that what happens in, in, in re, uh, leadership responsibilities, the follower is not stupid, okay? The follower knows if you can make this more inconvenient than it's worth, they won't die on that hill. Okay, and then what happens is the relationship begins, to, the balance of power begins to swing. I'll use an illustration I don't like using, but it's, a, it's a, I think, a perfect illustration. Uh, I don't try to be overly political in the pulpit, but think about this. The American form of government um, is supposed to be the leaders are you and I. We are the people, and the government serves the people. And what has happened, and again, I hate being overly political in the pulpit, what happens is the rights that you and I possess, be it free speech or whatever, we own those rights. They're very clearly delineated to us, but they will take them away because they know it's going to be too much of an uphill fight. I mean, you're going to have to go to this court, then it's going to get overturned, and then we're going to stall, and then we're going to go this. And eventually what happens is we become subservient to our government, when in reality it started this way. But it became so inconvenient, and it was going to take so much effort to fight over every nuanced thing that they chipped away slowly, and now all of a sudden, it's completely upside down. And there are mom and dad relationships toward children that it just became so inconvenient and so inconvenient, and it's not worth the fight, and another fight. Now we've got to police this thing again, and then all of a sudden, without even knowing it, because of inconvenience, we have conceded or ceded away our God-given responsibilities of leadership. And they're in charge, and we're not. They get to make the calls, and we don't. Um, but listen, uh, don't miss this statement. If you miss everything, don't miss this statement. This is like the heart and soul of this whole study. Look there. I think it's in your notes. Surrendering spiritual ground in order to appease an unspiritual person, this is so logical, and it's so true, will only result in having to deal with a less spiritual person in the next fight. <laughs> we get that, don't we? So like, and I'm just going to use, and again, ladies, I don't mean to use you as a bad example, uh, but let me just, for this example, she so got a husband who says, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then something happens, and man, a wife gets discouraged or goes through a bout of uh, maybe depression or anxiety, and those things absolutely happen. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones, but what happens is a husband, because he cares, and this happens to a wife to a child or a husband to, or a wife to a husband as well, but let me just use the linear path that God has picked in the home. What happens is the husband loves her and says, man, I get it. I, hey, why don't you just stay home tonight? What you have done is allowed her to be less spiritual next time. We, we understand that. There's not a person in this room who will argue opposite of that. And then what happens is, man, she's fine Monday through Friday. She's fine all Wednesday, but church time comes, and it's like, oh, I'm just. What know you not that to whom you render yourself servants to obey his servants you are. When you let a teenager become less spiritual, oh, they got something going on, and I don't want to be a bad parent. I love them, so I'm just going gonna to lower that down a little bit. What you have now done is allowed them to be less spiritual. You will now be dealing with a lesser spiritual person at the next argument, at the next battle, at the next, hey, we're not doing that. And I have seen and observed, and again, I've never raised parent or teenagers, so I'm not necessarily throwing stones, but I've seen, oh, you know, she's 16, she wanted to go to the dance, all her friends are doing it, I just don't want to be the dud, she's getting made fun of, so I conceded. What happens when she's 17? What happens when she's 18 and starts dating the guy she went to prom with? What happens when stuff happens, and I'm telling you, you are creating a bigger problem 
down the road when you won't die on the hill you're supposed to die on. So let's talk about And honestly, there, there are far fewer hills than I think um, than, than you might even guess. Um, because again, not everything is worth dying over. But I would say, what are some areas, some hills worth dying on? Uh, husband to family, wife to children, even wife to husband. Um, you'll see some in a minute. Um, number one, biblical absolutes. Okay? Do not, listen, if the scripture, I think this is in your notes. If the scripture settles it for all of humanity, then the scripture settles it for the Trudels. Sorry, kids, love you, but I have a job to shepherd your heart. And as much as I'm for you, and as much as I want you to enjoy your childhood and your teenage years, I have a biblical responsibility because the Bible settles that matter. In the areas of biblical absolutes, these are non-negotiable. So let me just pick a couple, and and you're going to have to fill in that list. And that list is long, right? If the Bible settles it, that's on the list, okay? But let me pick a couple that I've seen happen in marriages and in child rearing. And I mentioned it briefly, but church attendance. This is hard. Um, Sometimes, it shouldn't be all the time. But there are seasons, and my wife and I have certainly gone through seasons. We've had, we've had difficulties. We've had uh, three different miscarriages. There have been seasons where my wife does not feel like, hey, I want to be in church right now. Okay, can I just be honest with you? Probably none of you have ever felt that way. Um, but if you go through tragedy, and those of you who've gone through much worse, you understand that. Being seen by people, and they define you by that. Are you okay? So, so there were seasons where, hey, listen, babe, you know, like, I understand. And maybe, maybe because of the physical side, I'm going to let you stay home for a little bit, but... You know, at a certain point, sweetheart, like, we got to come back. And that's a hard conversation because it hurts. But I have a biblical obligation to help my wife. Because if I let that decision continue, and that decision's rooted in, in reality. That decision is rooted in, in real circumstances. And every one of yours has been too. But you as a man have a responsibility to say, hey, I love you, but I, I think we're headed. And I don't want to get to my next point in the wrong direction, which is the next point. So church attendance is one of those. Financial stewardship is one of those. If the Bible settles it, it's over. I remember years ago, I told my wife, I was, it was a total joke, but she, she responded so well. I've used this before. But I told my wife, I said, hey, babe, um, you know, we spent a little bit too much money this month. We, we can't afford to tithe. I'm going to need you to not put it in. And my wife laughed at me. She said, well, that's your fault. She said, I'm going to put the tithe in. You'll have to figure that out. And I was like, yeah, girl, get it. Yes. So spiritual. Areas of doctrine. Hey, that's we're we're not teaching our kids that. Hey, that's that. I know you heard it on a podcast. I know you caught it on Facebook. I know teenager that your friends are saying these things. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible says, and this is what we are going to do. So, in areas of biblical absolutes, you as a husband and you as a wife have a responsibility to stake your claim and say, "I'm not moving on this. I love you." Again, this is why it's not. I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to take you down with me. I've got my guns ablazing. No, no, no. Like, hey, babe, I love you, and I hurt, but this is. This is the right decision, and as your husband, this is what we're going to do, okay? Moving next, um, what hills to die on? Number two, directional currents. Um, Joshua 24, 15, I think you have it. This one, um, d- listen, direction matters immensely. I think that's what you have in your notes. You have direction matters. Joshua 24, 15, it says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the floods, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And notice this father, this husband, make the decision for his family. But as for me and my house, he didn't say, hey, babe, what do you think we should do? Kids, you want to go to the gods of the Amorites? No? Okay. Well, hey, we decided we're going to serve the Lord. 
No, he says, as for me and the decision for my whole house is that we will serve the Lord. And directional currents matter immensely. Sometimes we fool ourselves because where we're at isn't terrible, but the direction we're heading is so incredibly important. It's, it's much harder to perceive direction than it is location, right? Think about being in the ocean. If you've ever swam in the ocean, it, you can't see the currents, right? I mean, you can see water move and things of that nature. You can see where someone is, but you can't. It's harder to tell if the water is pulling them away. And so it's, it's extremely difficult as a husband, as a mom, to perceive that something is wrong in your family. But I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit illuminates an area in your life and something just doesn't feel right, and man, maybe there's an attitude that's going on, or I'm just kind of sensing a difference in spirit or a tone, and there's a lack of engagement going on, and, and I feel some pull in a certain direction. Like I said, it can be hard to notice, but I'm telling you, that is a hill you should stake your claim on. I'm just noticing something going on at school, something going on with your friends. Something's not right. Listen, God gave you the Holy Spirit to do that. As a husband, you're perceiving what's going on in your spouse. As a wife, I can't tell you the number of times my wife has perceived something going on in my own heart, in my own spirit. And it is her responsibility to help me with that, okay? Uh, And that's important. And this is why I say a conversation should be the way to approach this. You shouldn't assign motive. Hey, I've noticed that you're probably doing these things. You're like, you don't maybe know that. But maybe just pull the teenager and grab a drink or something um, at, at Starbucks or something. And say, hey, is everything okay? Have a conversation. I've seen a lot of parents come down real heavy, real hard without any evidence. Yeah. And you have a responsibility to come to them. But maybe, maybe there's a better way to approach that. Don't come on your high horse. Don't assign motive to them, especially toward your spouse. But unspiritual currents can be hard to detect, um, because they, but you need to make sure that you're not giving up uh, that ground. Now, let me say this, um, and I, I do have a few moments. I've only got like one more point left. Um, it, uh, it's really hard to police currents if you've given up the moral high ground. It, like David to Amnon. David sinned with Bathsheba. He had committed adultery with her. He had had her husband murdered. And Amnon rapes his sister, and he says nothing about it. Absalom steals the kingdom, sleeps with his concubines. And David says, don't touch him, don't hurt him. He has no moral authority left. And as a husband, it behooves you to possess moral authority. That you are possessing your own vessel in a way that allows you to correct a teenager that allows you to correct a young adult, that allows you to correct a child or guide a wife. And the same thing for a wife to the children. So what hills do we die on? Number one, biblical absolutes. Number two, directional concerns. Number three, toxic footholds. And that's just a a phrase I think makes sense to us. But Ephesians 4.27 says, neither give place to the devil. Um, That idea of place is, it's it's a toehold. It's a foothold, uh, a climber. You just, I just need to hold on to one spot. You, you, and and that's, what, that's what matters here. Oftentimes, we don't address it in our wife or in our children or in our husband because it's just one area that he's, you know, she's struggling in. But I'm telling you, as a husband, you were given to guide. You were given to help. And if you're noticing an area that something's going on inside of your young person, I'll give you a couple areas, you need to make sure you draw a line and stand on that line. Uh, number, uh, number one, the first area, and i just give you a couple examples. There's far more than what I'm giving you. I would say sinful actions. But, but even more than that, let me delineate. I'm talking about sinful actions that you can see becoming their character. Amen. So let me give you an example. Um, there, uh, there's some bitterness going on inside of them. 
And as a husband, you kind of notice, like, and everybody gets hurt, right? Everybody kind of gets their feathers ruffled every now and then. And, and, you know, maybe something happened at church. Somebody said something. And, you know, yeah, okay, hey, that was weird. You know, I'm so sorry. Okay, we're good. But then you go home, and there's bitterness. And it's like, okay, maybe I want to dress it right now. But then tomorrow, there's still bitterness. And, like, four days later, it's still there. You're starting to watch a, a toehold, a foothold, become a character trait. And that's very important. Ungodly appetites. You start hearing them say a word, and then, then you start hearing them say it more often, and then you start hearing them say it more often. Those are things that matter. That, those are things, these are footholds that Satan is gaining inside of the life of a young person or your spouse. Um, we'll talk about unscriptural influences in a little bit. But number two, I, I have attitudes specifically toward important relationships. These are toeholds. Satan is going to try to destroy the relationships that matter. Um, Every parent in here has probably experienced this. Maybe not. I don't know. We have. Um, from time to time, the relationship. So, like, I, I can just, well, my kids aren't in here. I'll just give an example. Tough being a pastor's kid, right, Raquel? Um, it, right now, Noah has far more respect for me than he does my wife. But Abby has far more love for my wife than she does for me. So, and it, it breaks my little heart. She doesn't, yeah. like, the other day, I took, her to, I took her grocery shopping just by myself just because I wanted to, like, love on her and spend more time with her. And she's been doing this lately. And I'll say, Abby, I love you. And I'm in the grocery store. Mom is nowhere to be found. And I'm in the grocery store. I said, Abby, I love you. She says, I love you too, Daddy. But I also miss Mom. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> Knock it off. You can love me too. Um, so uh, my wife is actively trying to push her toward me. I'm actively trying to push my son toward her. That, uh, those are currents. Those are small, subtle things that, that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to address. Attitudes toward relationships, toward a pastor, toward uh, a spiritual leader, toward a mom or a dad. Listen, what dad doesn't know won't hurt him, but it will destroy your child. That's right. That is a fool's errand. Yeah. Number, number uh, I think it's number three, apathy. Apathy is one of those currents that you just sense. You know, that they're starting to not be as engaged and they're not... You know, they're not singing anymore, or they used to sing out, and now they're kind of singing like they're a ventriloquist. Um, they're unengaged. They're unfaithful in attendance. Um, they're trying to get out of spiritual responsibilities, and you're noticing it. Stand that ground. Amen. You don't need to beat them. Bless God, you're not going to eat your food till you read the word. Yeah. I mean, maybe you do that. That's fine. <laughs> if that's your rule in your home, I ain't going to throw rocks at it. But I, I, I think that when apathy starts to set in, that's one of those things, if you don't police on the front end, you're going to lose in the long end. Um, and then ungodly relationships. This is something, again, when you start seeing a spiritual appetite develop, when you start seeing a foothold, and now there's this, this attitude that didn't exist before, and now there's this kid around that didn't exist before, and, and you can kind of put two and two together, and the Holy Spirit's illuminating in this, and there's something going on, or maybe with a wife, and there's a lot of YouTube going on in certain areas, and you're like, man, I think this isn't healthy for you, and so what do I do? Pull the, pull the, the headship card. No, don't. Say, hey, is everything okay? I've been noticing this. Like, can I help with anything? Listen, we need to be guided by grace and fervently steward the responsibilities that God has given to us as leaders, as husbands, as wives, as fathers, and as mothers. Um, I hope that what you've heard today, there's two parts to it, right? There's the spiritual, there's the, the headship equation. How do you deal with these things? And then if it makes it through and there's some hills to die on, and listen, the scripture says it, honey, and we need to do it. And she's like, I'm not doing it. Grab the kids and come to church. Amen. I know you can't make her do it. Right. I'm not advocating for doing that. But listen, you're certainly not going to help by conceding to it. Right. With your teenagers, 
with your spouse, whether husband or wife. Let's pray and we'll be out of here.